You're listening to a podcast from the 5th Annual Tudor Institute Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference. The conference took place at Maynooth University on the 28th and 29th of August, 2015. The conference was generously supported by Marsh's Library, the Department of History at Maynooth University, Graduate Studies Office at Maynooth University, UCD Research, UCD School of History, and the Irish Research Council through a new Foundations Award. Podcasting was by Real Smart Media. In this episode, a recording of a paper by Lenore Fisher entitled Fionn McCool Among the Old English. Well, thank you very much for coming. I want to thank the Tudor and Stewart Conference for uh, having me here, uh, giving me the opportunity to talk to you. Um, I'm a medievalist myself. I did a master's thesis on on the historiography of Brian Brew. I'm interested in the Viking, in Viking period Ireland, but I figured Brian Brew was a window onto it, and so I wanted to see how our understanding of him and his period had evolved over the centuries. So I went around about deconstructing the whole series of legends about Brian Brew. And in the course of that, I came across the Book of Hoth. And then we have, we, we're very, very fortunate. Um, the Book of Hoth has uh, recently, the, there's an edition down below uh, among the books for sale, Valerie McGowan Doyle's study of the Book of Hoth. It was a book that was written between the years of 1569 and 1579 by Christopher St. Lawrence, the seventh Baron of Hoth. So this is a man who had come over with the Norman, Anglo-Norman conquest. He had come over with with the Anglo-Norman conquest, or his ancestors had come over then. And he's in the period now when Queen Elizabeth is sending over, starting to send over the New English, and Sydney is there, and they're trying to, and the New English are trying to reconstitute this colony in Ireland, and they're saying that uh, Christopher St. Lawrence's people had done it all wrong, was a failed conquest. And Christopher St. Lawrence was very concerned to try and justify what his ancestors had done and their presence in Ireland. So the um, edition of the Book of Hoth was uh, published by a man called uh, J.S. Brewer in uh, the 1800s. And J.S. Brewer really dismissed the Book of Hoth as being a fairly nonsensical extravaganza written in all these different hands and just being like a miscellaneous stuff. And he said, uh, really, you cannot read this with an English understanding of history. You have to hear what this is. Yeah. But Valerie McGowan Doyle did a very beautiful job of analyzing these different handwritings and showing that, in fact, the rear of the book is uh, notes that he was compiling on various subjects, and the main body of the book is trying to lay these out in chronological order, and it is a very rational approach to uh, the history of Ireland. He's bringing together all these different sources that were dealing with specific different things, and he's compiling this narrative of the history of Ireland from the conquest up. But around 1572, he decided that the bulk of what he'd written so far wasn't quite enough. He needed some material to preface it with. And that material is, he starts the first sentence of the book, starts, the genealogy of Finn came out of Denmark. Now, who is Finn? Well, it turns out Finn is Finn McCool, and he has 
14 pages of lore, Fiona lore, following on as, as his preface to this whole story about the, uh, the old English in, in Ireland. And it is, I mean, it is consciously thought out as a preface to the narrative that he has already constructed. So what I'm going to do here, I have, I, I, like I said, this isn't my, my, my period per se, but I just felt that this material was important enough that it should be put out there. And so I, I had at first thought that the funeral law was pretty much his own invention, but I you know, wanted to look into it. So I wound up writing a paper about the funeral law. It's not his own invention. And I'm circulating that among the, the scholars of funeral law, and they're getting quite excited about it. I'm not going to go into huge detail about the lore itself here. I'm going to concentrate more on, I, I, I want to give you, skim it over it and give you an outline of feel for what it's about uh, and to talk about its implications for scholars of the Tudor and, Histori and, and Stuart period itself, of the Tudor period. So... These 14 pages fall into basically, I, I, I broke them up into three main groups. First of all, he has his introductory sentence and the, and the family tree of Finn, and he goes into the Battle of Gaura then. He's got a few snippets, and then he goes into this big, long description of the Battle of Gaura. He then has the middle section of Oshin Chachinit. Oshin tells a story, and there's seven different Fiona, discrete Fiona stories that he tells in that, in that section. And finally, the third section is a long, again, a multi-page description of the Battle of Ventry. We're going to look at these, and we're going to start by looking at this middle section here, Oshin Chachinit. Oh no. First I want to give you a little background about what how we know about funeral or what 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 we have of it. So we have various big bodies of collections of funeral lore, and the, one of the main ones is a, a thing called the Akalovna Shinora, uh, abbreviated the AS. And the earliest this it's it's Cop there's copies of it in quite a number of different manuscripts, but the earliest ones would be like from 1500 in the Book of Lismore or the 1450s in Lod 16, uh, 610, sorry. But the language in it and various other internal uh, bits of evidence inside it tell us that it is much, much older than that and it was probably being written up in the 12th century in a period when Ireland was... Uh, consolidating its sources of the past, writing a lot of Dinhenichus lore, lore about uh, place names and things, and the Akalofshin Nashanor is very much a journey of St. Patrick and Ushin together through Ireland, and Ushin is telling St. Patrick the lore of the place names of all the places that they go through and all the backstories that are associated with that. So it is a, it is a, uh, a group of stories that hang together, stories within stories. And it gets repeated then, and there's any numbers of copies of that. That's, it, it, those are just uh, two examples. Then there's also a work called the Duner of Finn, which was written in Ostend um, by the, the, the Wardis that had gone over there uh, in, in exile. And it, it was a, a, a Captain McSorley who uh, arranged for a scribe to collect all these ballads about Fionn and write them in one volume. And 
There is a current theory that a lot of those uh, poems were actually sung ballads that the soldiery was singing, and um, uh, he wrote them down. We don't we don't have music for them, so we don't we can't be sure. But it it is a, a, a very probable uh, suggestion that they were, that they were being sung ballads, and some of them are quite long. And so this group are are not. They don't hang together, they're just discrete ballads, they're discrete uh, poems, uh, but they're in this big collection, the Dunner of Finn, uh, from 1626. In addition to that, we have lots of random tales here and there in texts of Irish lore from texts ranging from the 12th century on. So there's lots of other bits and pieces of, of Fiona lore, a story, a story here, a story there, a story there, uh, as scribes felt that they wanted to incorporate them. And be, above and beyond that, we have oral stories of Fiona being told right into the 19th and 20th centuries here in Ireland and in Scotland. So we're talking about a huge body of literature that has of, is of considerable antiquity and has been of course, changing through that time. So the fact that we have some of this recorded in 1572 is something very special. We have a body there that we have an exact date on, and it can tell us a lot about what's happening here in all this uh, period of time. So, Oshin Chachini. The first of his stories is a story called The Burning of Fionn's House. Now, this is a story that is mentioned in the Akal of Nishinorak, so it's one that goes well back, but the Akal of Nishinorak doesn't tell us the full story. The Akal of Nishinorak has a story about a chess game, and it says there was this problem, and the problem goes back to the burning of Fionn's house, and it mentions the very first, first bit of that story, but nothing more. We have an 18th century manuscript that gives a full story of the burning of Fionn's house. And it is pretty much the same story that Hoth is giving us in 1572. So Hoth's story is our first example now of this in a full version. And the 18th, what is interesting is that the, one of the critical episodes in this story is different in host version than here. So we see that there's some evolution going on in this story. Otherwise, it's really remarkably the same story, pretty much. Now, there are a number of stories that I have not been able to track down. And I don't know if, uh, if they simply don't exist anywhere else or if I just haven't found the sources. But I can tell you that I have sent uh, what I've written to the man who's supposed to know all of that there is of the Fiona stories, and he has not been... He's come back to me all excited and happy about it, but he hasn't told me any of the ones that I haven't found. So, uh, I don't know. <laughs> that remains to be seen. But then we have... Now, the third story, then, is what Oshi missed most. This is a typical theme that comes up in the Apple of Nishinora here in St. Pat Patrick are uh, traveling around together and St. Patrick asks him, what do you miss most? And Oshin says, oh, I miss the wood smoker and I miss the, my companions and all of that. And after that, uh, St. Patrick baptizes Oshin. So, okay, we have exactly that here, what Oshin missed most, the wood smoke, his companions and stuff and that. And hunting of the deer, but he mentions roe deer there, for instance, which of course they wouldn't have had roe deer in old 
in, in Ireland in the days of Akhilab and the that was introduced by the Romans. So there's uh, the Normans. So that's some interesting little things that are coming in from the, from the English background now. Um, what Hoth writes then, though, about Ushin's baptism is very interesting because it has nothing to do with the Akhilab and the nor, in, nor anything in any of the Fianna literature. He has drawn a story straight from the tripartite life of St. Patrick, where St. Patrick goes around to Cashel and he's baptizing the king of Cashel and he drives his crozier through the king of Cashel's foot. And Hoth has lifted that and transported that to this story of Ushin. And he uses the word buckle. He says he drove his buckle through uh, Ushin's foot. That is, he says, his closure. So he's using an Irish term uh, in, in this English, English narrative. This is all, of course, written in English. Lovely Elizabethan English. There is a story, he has a story there about how the Fiona was split between the house of Morna and the house of Bashna. And uh, this is a theme that runs through all the Fianna lore. It comes up again and again. It was the eventual destruction of the, of the Fianna. It, it, it led to the final battle that, that led to their ultimate destruction. So it is a very, very important theme, and Hoth makes sure that he includes that here. So he really knew his Fianna lore. And finally, he's, his final story that Ushin tells is about, it's not actually about Fianna as such, it's about Khan Ked Kaha. And Hoth seems to have been very fond of Khan Ked Kaha. He keeps mentioning him uh, uh, on a number of times. And it's Khan Ked Kaha and the Stone of Kingship. Now, um, the lore about the Stone of Kingship comes up a lot. In, it comes up in the Akal of Nishinor. It's, of course, in the Yarra Gawala and so forth. It's very central lore to, to, to Irish lore. Um, he has a story about it that I have not found elsewhere. Uh, in which a usurper has taken over the kingship and the stone is silent and Kid Kaha comes up and kills the usurper and the stone cries out then as it's supposed to do under the king. Now there's various stories about the, 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 the stone of kingship but I haven't actually found one where that exact story. So whether he was lifting this from somewhere else that I haven't found yet or whether he was inventing this, I don't know. It is important that he's, he's very concerned with Irish kingship, and we'll see this again. So this is an important story for him, and it is the final in this group of stories that Ocean is telling, the story about the kingship of Ireland. So, okay, we've got this group of stories that Ocean uh, has told in our middle section. He precedes it with the Battle of Gaura, and he follows it with the Battle of Ventry. Now, the Battle of Gaura is the battle in which the Fianna were destroyed. And it might seem odd that he brings it in at the beginning. I think there's several reasons for that. For one thing, in the Akhala of Nishinora, the Battle of Gaura is right at the beginning, so he's following a standard pattern there. It's also a very serious battle, a very tragic story and uh, he's got, his description of it is uh, Lord Hoth loved um, battle strategies, deployment topography, he brings in lots of stuff that you would not find in Irish narratives at all now, Irish narratives of battles are about hand to hand fights who far who and who, you know uh, totally different than Hoth's descriptions of battles and this goes right through uh, the rest of Hoth as well and um, 
So he's got this big description of the Battle of Gara and their destruction, and his description of the Battle of Ventry then balances it at the other side. The Battle of Ventry is something that is mentioned in the Apple of Nishanorach, but comes up mostly as an independent story otherwise and in, in uh, manuscripts. And there's umpteen versions of the Battle of Ventry. It was a very, very popular story. But Hoth's version is different from all of them. Hoth's, the, the, the beginnings have parallels, but then he goes into, this, this is a battle that was supposed to last a year and a day. A year and a day. And uh, it, it, it is fighting all the time, according to the Irish things. One hand-to-hand battle after another and so forth. He has them, uh, the, 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 the uh, opposite sides would get together and they'd have feasts together. And then they, they might agree for a week's truce or, or a month's truce. And then they'd go off uh, uh, hunting. Yeah. They'd go off uh, hunting and they'd have love affairs. And there was, it was, it's all a very, very happy, jolly thing, actually. It's really like a, an Elizabethan tournament or an entertainment of some sort. So I think he's deliberately putting this happy bit at the end. And then he has, in his introductory thing, he has a bit about the hardiest woman ever, Zenobi, and he has a piece about kingship, a few metaphoric things about kingship. And he follows it up with a story at the very end, right after the Battle of Entry, again we have a queen and her handmaidens who dress themselves up as warriors and they come over and they fight with the Prince of Connacht. So he's got, again, this emphasis on kingship and on women, because of course he was a loyal subject of Queen Elizabeth. So he was making sure that he uh, allied himself with the right people. Now, as sources, we've heard a lot about libraries. Um, um, the, he mentions an old book. He mentions that he read, got this out of an old book. So he was reading some sort of books about Fionnola. He uses Irish words, like the Bachel. He translates the place names. Uh, he uses a lot of Irish place names and translates them tra- and explains them. Uh, now, libraries, we, the, the, the Law 610 was, it includes one of the early versions of the Akhalat Nishinar, was written for the Butler family. The Butlers had a big library, uh, including Irish texts, and they had scribes specifically putting together texts in Irish of Irish material for them. There's um, a list of the Earl of Kildare's library from 1526. It had works in Latin, it had works in French, it had works in English, and it included a number of Irish romances and shanachas like the Psalter of Cashel, which unfortunately no longer exists. They had an animal there, and um, yeah, um, they don't have any mentions of funeral or per se, but there's a, a one of the titles listed there is the Yarish Kosher Cain, which is um, which is a, a related type of a thing, a romance of related type. So they had a lot of stuff of that kind. So it, clearly, um, Irish material was circulating among his uh, his the people of his of his class. So Finn McCool, he says, came out of Denmark. This is a the Fianna, the descriptions of the Fiona often resemble descriptions of Loch Lanark, some of the things that the Fiona did. Uh, he puts a bit more emphasis on them. Uh, he, I mean, he, he, he really drives that to an extreme, saying that they were brought out of Denmark to protect uh, um, Ireland, and he describes all the harbors that they settled in around Ireland. I think what he was doing here, and I'm gonna, this is my final slide, we're finishing up now, <laughs> you have to know. 
Um, I think what he was doing here, it was, he was putting this Fianna Law up as, as a, a, a model for the Old English community. These were people who preceded the Old English and whom they could pattern themselves after. They were, in a sense, essence, borrowing roots from the culture in which they had settled, the island in which they had settled. It gave them an image that they could associate with, and it embedded them in the lore of this country uh, which they had chosen to live in. 